correspondent Azra Siddiqui. Today's show is called It Takes More Than Two to Tango, and I'll be discussing how our political parties have developed and what, how they've evolved and what's their future. But first, let's start with some current political news. So we all heard last week about Ted Cruz's proposal about pr patrolling Muslim neighborhoods after the horrific attacks in Brussels. It attained tons of controversy. Many Muslims were angry, as well as many of the other political candidates. He did an interview on CBS, and I thought it was interesting to know how he didn't know how many Muslims were in the United States. He's a senator of Texas, and he probably has no clue that his own state of Texas probably has the largest Muslim population. I was also curious as to, you know, what is a Muslim neighborhood? And after he made those statements, you saw on Twitter it was trending, you know, my Muslim neighborhood and people from the Muslim communities and so many other various communities were posting photos how they weren't scared of Muslims. And I thought that was really great, the positivity that came out from that situation. Well, that isn't Cruz's only controversy going on these days. There were pictures um, posted between a picture war, basically, on Twitter between Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. They initially began with uh, a picture of Donald Trump's wife came out from a picture she posed in a magazine, and they said, do you really want this to be your first lady of the president um, of the um, White House? And then, you know, Donald Trump immediately accused Ted Cruz's campaign, and it got really heated, and he said that it wasn't him, that it was a super PAC that was against Donald Trump, but Donald Trump posted a very aesthetically displeasing photo of Ted Cruz's wife, Heidi Cruz. And, you know, I just found it so despicable that at this point we're, you know, taking photos of the wives. We may not be front fans of Ted Cruz or Donald Trump, but there's no need to drag their wives into it, into such a, like, demonizing situation. Um, I really didn't, I don't know, I can't believe that we've gone this far in the political process. So I wanted to also discuss that, you know, there have been rumors about Ted Cruz um, having an affair and that rumors that it was Rubio's campaign that did it. But, I mean, rumors are just flying everywhere. And I just, I know that things become really personal in the political office, but at the same time, I can't believe that, you know, we've come to this point. I just find it crazy. But moving on to the delegate count, you have Donald Trump, who won Arizona, Ted Cruz, who won Utah this past week. Trump's count of delegates is 740, Ted Cruz is 462, John Kasich is 143, he still hasn't dropped out yet, still waiting on those Northeast caucuses and primaries. Moving on to Clinton, she has 1,710 delegates, she won Arizona, but Bernie Sanders has 998 delegates, but he had five huge wins this past week, Alaska, Hawaii, Washington, Idaho, Utah. And these weren't just small wins. These were pretty big. He won by huge percentages. So a lot of people are saying that Bernie Sanders' campaign is still picking up momentum, that this is still going to go up until June. There's supposed to be a debate in New York, but the Hillary Clinton campaign is stating that Sanders is, you know, putting in really negative ads about her. 
Personally, I haven't seen any negative ads or negative comments by Bernie Sanders about Hillary Clinton, but maybe they're running in New York to that I'm not sure about. But who knows if they're going to have another presidential debate. Honestly, I'm okay with it because I feel like they've been debating over the same policies. We know where their policies are, where they align. I don't think there's necessarily any new topics for them to talk about, but that's just me. So moving on to today's topic about It Takes More Than Two to Tango, I wanted to talk about how the political parties began in America and how they've evolved and how it's been interesting and how I think it could evolve into the future. So let's start with, you know, George Washington was our first president. He didn't align with any political party. After him, we started with the Federalists and the Democratic Republicans. He had John Adams, who was their second president as a Federalist, and Thomas Jefferson, who was their third president as the Democratic Republicans. In the 1796 elections is when these two parties really, you know, formed and took place. So for the Democratic Republicans, the Democratic meant will of the people, Republicans meant rule of law. And the Federalists campaigned in favor of the Constitution, and they were solid supporters of federal administration. They were considered more richer. They consisted of merchants, creditors, urban artisans. The Democratic Republicans were fully committed to, you know, extending the revolution to ordinary people. They had farmers. They had many different segments of society. They also had wealthy tobacco groups. So... George Washington got tired of their bickering and reminded people in his farewell speech of their loyalty to their country instead of individual political parties. And I really wish to this day that both of our political parties could read George Washington's speech again and remind themselves that they're supposed to represent and vote for the people and not just completely be loyal to their political parties. But by 1800, the Federalists' party simmered out and then in 1828, you had the Democrats versus the Whigs, which was a new political party, and Andrew Jackson became the first president of just the Democrats. There was one presidential term where the Whigs party came in, but for the most part, the Democrats held the White House till 1860. The Whigs were known to be you know, anti-slavery, and I believe that's kind of when the anti-slavery movement started coming into play. And then in 1856, the North abolition movement gave birth to the Republicans, and Lincoln was their first candidate. They ran on a platform of anti-slavery, and it's kind of crazy to think that you see the current rhetoric of the Republican candidates, and you think about the Republicans back then who were for anti-slavery and for inclusion and equality, whereas you don't see the front runners of the Republican Party uh, talking that way at all, and their platforms completely changed. So in 1864 is when it really became Democratic versus Republican. That's when those two parties really formulated. And for the most part, the Republicans were in power for 50-plus years. So the Democrats were almost dying out. But then in 1929, the Great Depression came and changed the party system. So businesses failed. You had a lot of the banks failing as well. And FDR who is a Democrat, came in with sweeping reform and changes and basically rebooted the American economy. And he essentially saved the Democratic Party. It was then that the Democrats redefined themselves as a party for the people, the poor and middle class, labor unions, and for equality. And then the Republicans 
just didn't necessarily redefine themselves then, but they went more along the lines of changing their platform a little to states' rights, tax cuts, and reduced government spending. But they were having a hard time winning elections. Then in 1964, LBJ, President Lyndon B. Johnson, who's a Democrat, um, he aligned with the civil rights movement for the Democrats. And then you had a lot of the Southerners. So if you, rem if you remember you know, US history back during the Civil War and afterwards, the Democrats were in the South and they were the ones that were pro-slavery, pro they were pro-segregation, they made it much more difficult for African Americans to vote. And so when LBJ aligned for civil rights, he saw a lot of the conservative Democrats um, from the South start going to the Republican Party because Barry Goldwater, who was a Republican candidate running against LBJ, was against civil rights. So you kind of had that switch um, in the momentum of the parties um, redefining themselves. Then in the 1980s, the Republicans, you know, allied more with some of the churches, and, and you also saw in 2012 that the Tea Party emerged. And so that is pretty much how current day is, uh, cur our current political system is these days. It is interesting to note, I, you know, while I was reading, doing my research, how people have said that Democrats these days never mention the poor, and it's about the middle class. And I think that is something very interesting to note that the poor hasn't really been mentioned that much. You saw it mentioned by Donald Trump when he won one of his caucuses that he loves the poorly educated. And it's probably why um, they probably have gone to Donald Trump. There was a very interesting New York Times article I read the other day that I want to discuss in conjunction to a Guardian article. And they both went along the lines of the fact that how we have, you know, the working, the white working class have pretty much been forgotten. So you have like the middle class, the rich class, and the immigrants and the other minorities. And so they were discussing about how they've been forgotten. And just because they're for Donald Trump, like people are thinking that they're crazy. And, they, and at the end of the day, they already feel isolated. And I've discussed this before. And you know, also, I wanted to add that as minorities, I also feel like we have become very idealistic. Whether our parents come to this nation or you've immigrated here, we think that economic issues don't occur in America. I mean, it's known you know, for you to rise in America. It doesn't matter where you came from. And all these other countries have dealt with it. You see economic issues coming into play, and that's where the anger and resentment grows. So we shouldn't be really surprised that it's happening in America. But talking about the articles, they were discussing how the GOP has become more the party for the rich and the poor people have been suffering economic pain and are angry. And that's why Donald Trump is their man. They feel that jobs have been sent overseas with these trade pacts. And that's why they're against minorities. And this is more in the Rust Belt area. And, you know, it's kind of an odd dichotomy because we don't want to be left behind economically. Obviously, our parents or those of us who immigrated here want economic and educational prosperity. But you have to feel for them that they've been suffering because at the end of the day, they, their wages have declined. Workers have become very anxious. The Republicans did tax cuts on the rich. 
They saw immigrants competing for their jobs, and Republicans saw them as an emerging pool of voters to court. And, you know, you talk about how their communities have lost a lot of factories overseas for cheaper labor, and that's why they're so angry. And I was thinking, you know, as a nation, of course, we need to reinvest in those areas so that they have economic prosperity again. Because I truly feel that if you, a lot of people have economic prosperity while racism is there, it isn't as prominent, and there's not as much hate against immigrants, or they don't feel that they're taking their jobs. But I also wonder if as a South Asian and Muslim and both Muslim communities can work together to maybe reinvest in those areas. Like we are so creative in building these startups and doing apps and technologies. And I wonder if we can start focusing more in those Rust Belt areas or those areas that have lost a lot of jobs because not only would it bring them economic prosperity, but think of the impact we could make if we're, we're the ones that are helping them get out of that rut. And then maybe they wouldn't be so you know, a racist or, you know, have so much hate against us. But I think that's something we could consider. I also wanted to parallel, so when I had spoken earlier about the Great Depression and how it had swung the Democratic Party in and started to change their values, we, I almost see that you feel that you see the same parallel with economic crisis of 2008, where we had the Great Recession, which was you know, one of the biggest recessions we've had since the Great Depression. And you see the poor becoming angry. And the parties um, were starting to redefine themselves. And so could this be the time where we redefine the Republican and Democratic parties? I mean, potentially we could see that there could be a split within parties. You talk about the Republicans talking about a brokered convention because they don't want Donald Trump as their nominee. So if Donald Trump you know, breaks off and still runs, are you going to have a break in the Republican Party? And meanwhile, you're dealing with that situation in the Republican Party. I don't think the Democratic Party is um, as whole and as secure as, as they think it is. I think you'd definitely see that divide with um, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. You see those that are poor but more socially liberal, and a lot of the millennials really going for Bernie Sanders, who's an independent. And I think for millennials, the economic inequality is huge for them, but also at the same time, it's these school loans. The school loan debt has, is the largest that it's ever been. It's more than $1 trillion dollars. And that's why a lot of the millennials are for Bernie Sanders, because they feel that he is the one that could fix these problems. At the end of the day, it's Wall Street. It's these rich corporations that are taking away the money. You see that same theme in Bernie Sanders as you do with Donald Trump. So at the end of the day, I feel that we need to remember that these people aren't going anywhere, just as for them, immigrants won't be going anywhere. And we need to work together to, you know, talk about these issues and bring in new ideas. And that's why I think a lot of people are starting to discuss the fact that we could have more than two political parties. We can have more than two political parties because people are feeling that there's only been two-sided debates and that there are multiple ways to fix issues and that we could definitely use fresh voices and ideas. And 
Not only that, but they also feel that both political parties have been corrupted and are rigged by the system. You see that in the Republican side when you talk about them doing tax cut tax cuts for the rich. And then you definitely see in the Democratic side because people feel Hillary Clinton is bought out by Wall Street. They feel also that the delegates and superdelegates for Hillary Clinton in this Democratic convention seem to be rigged, that she is getting so many more of these superdelegates, and that's why her delegate count is so high, and then it's rigged for her that she's going to win the nomination. A lot of people don't like the fact that she's taken an, an exorbitant amount of money for speeches with you know, Goldman Sachs and a lot of these big corporations. And her response to that wasn't very strong. She said, well, you know, that's what they offered me. And to be honest, if anybody from Goldman Sachs or any of these big companies are listening, if you would love for me to speak at one of your events, I would gladly do it for the same amount of money you've paid Hillary Clinton. But I just wanted to, you know, put that out there. I know that's wishful thinking. But moving on to what I was discussing or going back to that, I've stated before that millennials are the largest group and we could potentially, our generation, start a third party. You see a lot of them just very disenchanted with the main establishment, whether it's Republican or Democrat, and that's why they're going for Bernie Sanders and that's why he's winning so huge in the millennial age group. And I think for both parties, People are so disgusted because they feel that they're not working together. You see Congress is the most polarized it's ever been. And I really think that there's a potential that either both parties will realign their values or we could potentially have separate parties. I mean, more than two parties. And I think it would be interesting to see how that's going to play out because I definitely think the Republican and Democratic parties are going to have to redefine themselves over the next couple of years. But with all of that said, I don't want anyone to think that these situations is to dissuade anyone to vote. Ignorance and lack of participation isn't an excuse. And this is really the time the two parties have our attention because outsiders are really gaining the momentum. And maybe these two parties will listen and they will think about redefining their values. I also wanted to discuss how South Asians have voted. As you all know, there isn't much history about the South Asian population voting in America, but it's been known that in the 90s and early 2000s, South Asians voted more on the Republican side because we were more socially conservative, and now it's kind of evolved and we vote more Democratic. I wanted to note an interesting statistic that according to Emerging Networks, LLC, the US, United States' largest South Asian TV firm, there's 4 million South Asians in the US. We're the fastest growing ethnic group. We're the wealthiest and most well-educated, but we're often overlooked. While we're civically engaged, we need to do a better job to achieve highest political empowerment. And I couldn't agree more. This is something that I reiterate in every single segment, that we do need to do a better job of attaining a higher political empowerment to get our values out there to talk to our politicians. So that is my segment for today. And if you would like to check out my website, it's www.azrasiddiqui.com, A-Z-R-A-S-I-D-D-I-Q-I.com. 
You can also check out my Facebook page and my Twitter account. They're both called Wise Up, W-I-S-E-U-P. And I'm really excited to announce that for the, for the next couple of weeks, we'll be having some political interviews, some that have you know, done grassroots campaign for state and national elections, some of the people from the Texas Democratic Party. There are some people that will be discussing some of the very pivotal, pivotal House, Texas House elections that will be coming up where South Asians can really make a huge impact. So I hope you'll stay tuned. And if you follow my Twitter and Facebook accounts, you'll be knowing which interviews will be coming up. And I hope you all will tune in. Thank you.